Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 408. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to jump into today's podcast, but before I do... Don't forget to check out the old pre-meds podcast. Now, we did a social media post about the old pre-meds podcast recently, and so many students were like, I've been listening to the pre-med years. I had no idea about the old pre-meds podcast. Well, if you don't know about the old pre-meds podcast, then you might not know about all of the other podcasts that I do at MedEd Media. You can find them at mededmedia.com or premedpodcast.com. But I have the MCAT podcast, the MCAT Cars podcast, Specialty Stories, where I talk to physicians about their specialty. I have, uh, what else do I have? Ask Dr. Gray, which is one-on-one coaching sessions that I do with students. You can find those videos on YouTube as well. Tons of great free content. What I think is great free content for you every week here across all of the MedEd media channels. So go check out oldpremeds.com org.com, OPM, yeah. You go, just go check out premedpodcast.com. You can find it all there. Or if you're listening to this in your podcast app, just search for old premeds, all one word, old premeds. That's a Q&A podcast that I do. I take questions directly from our premedforms.com site, which is a form on our website. Uh, I take questions directly from the non-traditional premed discussion and answer them on the podcast. Go check that out. I just recorded episode 245 of that podcast as well. So let's jump into Premediers, episode 408. Today, I want to talk to you. It's just me and you, just me and you today. And I'm going to talk to you about the nine reasons that I typically see students not getting into medical school, the nine reasons why they're rejected at the end of the day. And I'm going to start off with some easy ones and we'll get into some other ones. I think if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you probably know all of these things. And if you haven't been listening for a while, that's okay. I won't shame you, but you should have been. You can go back and listen to all of our episodes for free all the way back to November of 2012. Yes, we're coming up on our eight-year podcasting anniversary here at the Pre-Med Year. So excited to, to share that with you if you haven't been here a while. But let's start off with what most students think is the only reason why students are accepted or rejected. Number one, having a poor GPA. Having a GPA that does not reflect your ability to do well in medical school 
is an easy opportunity for a medical school to not accept you. Having a GPA that doesn't show academic ability to get into and through medical school will give the medical schools no reason to invite you for an interview. Remember, at the end of the day, the goal of the medical school admissions process is to evaluate students not only from a statistical standpoint, right, from a a, a stats standpoint, GPA and MCAT, but also from everything else. And so when I started off by saying these are the only two that most applicants think are the things that matter. And obviously, if, again, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that the, the your story, your process is much more important than just MCAT and GPA. And yes, MCAT and GPA matter. They matter a lot, but they're not the end all be all. And so when you're looking at your GPA, and and I'll give you a specific example. We were uh, doing an Ask the Dean earlier that I do with Dr. Scott Wright, the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern, a former executive director of TMDSAS. If you want to go watch those, you can watch those at mapped.tv, M-A-P-P-D.tv, or just uh, subscribe to Ask the Dean. You can listen to the audio of those in any podcast player, like you're listening to this. But in, in a recent Ask the Dean, I think that we recorded today. I've done a lot of recording today. I think we recorded today. The, the question came up, I have this GPA. Actually, you know what? This is from old pre-meds that I recorded today. I have, I have a 2.9 GPA. Already have a degree. Have already done 32 credit hours of a post-bac. My GPA is still a 2.9 what do I do? But with that 2.9, 32 hours of a postback was a 3.9 GPA. And they need 28 more credits to get to a 3.0. And so when I say poor GPA, I don't mean poor total number. So a 2.9 definitely is a poor GPA. But when you look just at that number, it doesn't tell you the story behind the scenes. This student probably had a a 2.4, 2.5 leaving college, has 32 credit hours at a 3.9 and now has a 2.9. Those 32 credit hours will very, very likely outweigh the 2.9 at a lot of schools. And so the trend in your GPA is much more important. Not just that total number, but so many students continue to focus on that total number and they get discouraged. And when you get discouraged, it defeats the purpose of everything that you're doing. You continue to struggle in your classes because you have that mindset, well, what's the point? What's the point? I'm never gonna get to a 3.0. And so you live up to that because you tell yourself that. When at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that you don't get back up to a 3.0. What matters is that the trend over your last 25, 30, 40 credit hours shows as close to a 4.0 as as possible. And a 3.9 definitely does that. And you have to remember that schools get every single data point and they're going to chop and slice and dice and and look at all of the data points how they want to look at it. And so they may ignore all of your data, except the last 40 credit hours. And maybe the last 40 credit hours for this student, it's not a 3.9, but maybe it's a 3.6. And that's decent. So uh, getting back to the original story here, a poor GPA is going to get students rejected. 
but it's not just that total number. The trend really matters as well. All right, let's talk about the second reason why students are being rejected, why applicants get rejected from medical school. Number two, sticking with the stats theme, your MCAT score. We can go into a whole discussion about whether the MCAT should stay, whether it should go, whether it's it's a racist test, whether it it continues to to separate the haves and the have-nots. I'll leave that out of this discussion. But know that I think the MCAT needs to change drastically and or be completely removed and maybe replaced with something else. But if you look at the history of, of standardized tests in this country, they do not do a good job of representing the country. And so with that aside, let's talk about a poor MCAT score. A poor MCAT score, uh, unfortunately, when you go to medical school, it's test after test after test after test. And there are plenty of students out there who are amazing test takers in school and then poor MCAT test takers. The MCAT is unlike any other test you will have taken or will take in the future. It's a completely different beast, which is part of my reason why we should get rid of it because it's not like the board exams. It's different. It's a different test. The board exams test your knowledge. The MCAT tests your ability to critically think and understand the English language and understand the the nuances and games that the MCAT wants to play with you. The going through medical school and even in residency, you take more tests. When you're a physician, you continue to take tests. The MCAT score, unfortunately, schools use that as your ability to be a test taker. Is that fair? I don't think so, but that's what schools do. We have the opportunity right now, just a a side tangent here, we have the opportunity right now with COVID, a lot of schools are either waiving the MCAT or making it uh, uh, an an option if you haven't taken it. Some schools are going to, at least one school I saw is going to actually blind the MCAT score if a student did take it to to make it a fair game across the board and that's what they that's what every school should do. If they're going to make it optional for some students, they should blind the MCAT score for every student who who has taken it. But that aside and I I completely understand if if you are trying to use a high MCAT score because you're great at standardized tests for some reason the MCAT clicked with you, you're trying to use a high MCAT score to improve your chances because you have a lower GPA, understand that removing or changing the MCAT is going to hurt some people. I got you. I got you there. Okay, back 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 to the topic at hand. A poor MCAT score. Again, you're going to be a professional test taker and your inability to do well on the MCAT unfortunately potentially shows medical schools this is not a good test taker. I don't think it's true. But that's what schools will do. And so let's look at the nuances with the MCAT score. A lot of students freak out with subsection kind of mismatches where it's like 128 and and then 123 in the car section and 127 and 128, right? And great scores in the other sections except for cars. Look at the total score. Don't look at those subsection scores. And yes, there will be a few schools out there that will screen out based on a certain subsection score. But understand that most schools are are just looking at your total score to understand who you are. And maybe the subsection score matters a little bit less for cars, but maybe a little bit more for chem phys or for bio biochem. You can't really play that game of trying to analyze your subsection scores and, and trying to play the game of should I retake the MCAT, should I not based on this one subsection score, it, 
you have to continually pull back and look at the big picture, look at the macro and, and not the micro. And so again, the poor MCAT score is going to close a ton of doors. A lot of schools have a 500 as a minimum cutoff, even DO schools. And I, I've, I know students, I had some on the podcast, they get like a 496, a 497 and still get into medical schools and that's okay. But they also had amazing stories to go along with it, which brings me to point number three, not having a story, not understanding who you are in this journey and thinking that this whole pre-med path is just, let me check a bunch of boxes. Let me get a, a great GPA and a great MCAT score, and it's, uh, that's all it takes. I'm going to apply to medical school. I'm going to get in. Unfortunately, that's not how medical school works. The admissions process is there to build a cohort of students that are going to interact well together, that are going to be this family for the next four years. The interview process and the whole application process is built to make sure that our future generation of physicians are competent, not only academically, but culturally sensitive, uh, can communicate well, and many more things. Long gone is hopefully the story of the super book smart physician with no bedside manner. We have lots of those physicians right now out in the workforce, and they're doing a lot of harm to their patients because they're not connecting with their patients. And patients don't resonate with those physicians. We want the best of both worlds. We want the physicians who are smart enough to be able to understand everything that's going on with us, but also can communicate well and connect with us and have empathy that we actually feel like they care. And if you've never been a patient, you're like, well, that doesn't matter. But if you have been a patient, you understand that bedside manner, that communication, that empathy is everything. And not having a story that goes along with why you want to be a physician is not going to resonate well with the application or with, with the admissions committees. They're going to look at your application and go, okay, great student, great GPA, great MCAT score. Don't really know who they are, why they're doing this. I, I don't really see a story behind them. So you have to have that story to help you understand. And, and I, obviously, I have a book called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Personal Statement. That book really helps students understand their story. So if you haven't checked that out, you can do so. Just go to premedplaybook.com or personalstatementbook.com. I have lots of websites. I can give you lots of names. <laughs> I have like 300-something websites, unfortunately. Lots of domain names. So you have to have a story. You have to understand why you're doing this. You have to reflect on everything that you're doing, which is a big part of this mapped software that we're creating. If you haven't checked it out, mapped.com, M-A-P-P-D.com. It's only been out to the public now for less than a month, uh, out to the general public. And we have over 1,500 students in there using it, uh, learning to love it, learning to build it into their process and workflow so that when they come home from their shadowing experience, they reflect on that. There's the ability to have little diary entries and reflect on the experience. And as we build more and more into MAPT, we'll be able to do much more with that information and data to help guide you. So go check out mapped.com so that you can keep track of your story. Now, numbers four and five are kind of similar but still different. And I, w I wanted to keep them separate because a lot of students don't understand that they are different. Number four is no clinical experience. Number four reason why students are getting rejected, why applicants are getting rejected is having no 
clinical experience. And I let off with GPA and MCAT. And I let off specifically with GPA and MCAT because that's where students think they need to focus all of their time. And yet so many students apply with a 4.0 GPA and a 522 MCAT score and don't get in to medical school. Why is that? One of the biggest things that I see is they lack clinical experience. And the downstream effect of that is now they don't have a story to tell. Why do you want to be a physician? Oh, I don't know. I have a 4.0 and a 522. Why not? Right? That's the, the literal, literal reason that I get from students. Like, I'm smart. Why not be a physician? But we don't want physicians like that. We want physicians who understand that medicine in America is messy. It's not great. There are lots of issues and you have to want to get into this. I was doing a, an interview earlier today with a cardiac surgeon, someone who does heart failure, does uh, LVAD implantations, does um, does heart transplantations. And and he said, right, one of, one of the things he said, if you're not 100% bought into being a cardiac surgeon, do not be a cardiac surgeon. If you have to talk yourself into being a cardiac surgeon, do not be a cardiac surgeon. And it's the same thing for medicine. Don't, don't think that just because you're smart means you should be a physician. Just because you like science doesn't mean you should be a physician. You have to have the clinical experience. You have to be around patients to really understand that this is what you want. And yeah, I understand in other countries they don't do this, but other countries don't have our screwy healthcare system. You have to understand what you're getting yourself into. You have to have that clinical experience so you can build that story to understand why you are doing this. So go out and get clinical experience. Let's let's talk for a second what clinical experience is. Being close enough to smell the patient is one thing that I heard a while ago at a conference and back in 2013. And I remember it to this day because it's the best representation I've heard about what clinical experience is. It's not sitting at the information desk. It's not working in the gift shop at the hospital. It's not being a janitor in a hospital. It's not cleaning rooms in a hospital. It's interacting with patients. So understand that. The next thing, number five reason why applicants get rejected. Again, very similar story to not having clinical experience is not having any shadowing experience. Shadowing is important. Shadowing doesn't really give you a lot of insight from the patient side of thing, right? Interacting with patients. But what shadowing does is it exposes you to the realities of medicine, hopefully. From the physician side of things, you are literally the shadow of the physician for the day, for the week, or however long you're shadowing. You are there watching as the physician is interacting with the ancillary staff, the nurses and the PAs and the NPs and the, the PTs and the, the OTs and whoever else, right? they calling the insurance companies, dealing with them and the nurses. Don't forget about the nurses. They, they make everything run. Um, you get to see all of that and hear all of that. You get to see the frustration on the, the physician's face and hear it in their voice when she gets off the phone with the insurance company and the, the insurance company is denying care for their patient. You get to see that. You get to hear her frustration. You get to talk to her, hopefully, and ask questions about medicine and, and why it's such a struggle the way we have healthcare in this country. Shadowing is important. Now, a lot of students were like, well, how much do I need? And I don't, I don't like answering that question, but 
I like to tell students just just shoot for a minimum of about 100 hours of clinical experience, a minimum of about 40 or 50 hours of shadowing. But again, that doesn't mean go check off the box, get 100 hours of clinical experience between freshman year and sophomore year, and then call it quits. You need some consistency there as well. All right, so number six in our journey to nine here is arrogance. I talked to a pre-med advisor recently, and she was telling me about a student who was just completely arrogant and had a great GPA, post-bac GPA, great MCAT score, didn't get any interview or didn't get any uh, acceptances. And we talked about it and she was like, oh, a thousand percent. He's just completely arrogant and thinks he's, he's the best thing. And, and probably that showed in his personal statement and that showed in his interviews. And that is a very easy, easy, easy rejection for the majority of schools out there. If you're coming into this arrogance that you think you know everything, that you think you're a hotshot, that you have the best GPA, the best MCAT score, you're going to make the best physician, you are very likely not going to get into medical school. You have to understand that there's so much more to learn, that at the end of the day, you coming into medicine, no matter where you've been, if you've been a PA for 20 years, if you've been a nurse for 20 years, if you were the president of the United States for two terms and then wanted to go to medical school, you do not know what it's like to be a physician. So don't bring the arrogance into the conversation. Come from a place of being humble, a place of wanting to learn, wanting to understand, showing them that you are willing to learn, that you're willing to take the time to listen. If a student doesn't do that, they are very likely not going to get into medical school. And during an interview, sometimes they can hide it, but when you put everything together and a whole application, an interview and everything, a lot of times it's very easy to see who those students are. So leave the ego at the door, bring some humble pie, and really, really understand that at the end of the day, your goal through this process isn't to show how amazing you are. It's to show who you are and why you want to be a physician. And through that process, you'll show them that you're willing to learn, that you want to learn, that you're going to be someone who they can teach. All right, number seven in our list of reasons why applicants get rejected. Applying late. Now, the far majority of medical schools in this country, in the US, and Canada is different. Canada doesn't have rolling admissions, as far as I know, at every school, but let's say most schools. Uh, The far majority of schools in this country, in the US, have rolling admissions. That means the earlier that you apply, the earlier your application is verified, the earlier you get secondary essays back, the earlier you can submit those secondary essays, the earlier everything is complete in your application, the earlier you can be potentially invited for an interview, the earlier you interview, the earlier your your file is available for review and potential acceptance. Every medical school has a certain number of seats of interview spots every year. Every medical school has a certain number of seats for acceptances every year. And when they meet those numbers, they close it down for the year, for the most part, right? And then there's some waitlist movement and everything else, but for the most part, that's how it works. So the later that you apply, the fewer seats are available. And there are more applicants 
later and later and later. And so I always call this a giant game of musical chairs. You are applying in a sea of thousands of other students and the numbers of seats are going down and down and down and down, which makes it much harder to stand out as an applicant when there are so few spots available. Now, right now, as I'm recording this, we're still in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic and we're having virtual interviews this cycle. This may potentially change the game with how medical schools are going to interview students into the future as well. And maybe they'll interview more students. We don't know, but that is a potential so that more students are potentially getting interviews and obviously not more students are getting accepted because we still have a set number of seats at medical schools, but that is a potential for numbers of interviews. Applying late can kill a really good application. Applying late includes not only submitting your application late, but making sure that everything is in on time as well. A application has to be complete before it is typically reviewed. Complete means primary application, secondary application, letters of rec, MCAT score, transcripts. I think that's it. All of that stuff has to be in. So if you apply early, but don't take your first MCAT until September, that's really late. And that may be an issue. So applying late slash having a late complete application can kill a good application. I had Dr. Greg Politis on the podcast. I've had him on the podcast four times now. He's an admissions committee member at WashU. He's an ER doc. And he, he talks about just being October, mid-October, and seeing amazing applications and going, I can't, I can't do anything, right? I, I don't have any more spots to offer you. I don't have any more interview spots to offer you. But it's a great application. Apply again next year. Apply earlier. So don't apply too late. Number eight on the reasons why applicants are being rejected. I'm going to make sure you guess this one. All right, you're going to guess it. What is it? Did you say poor interview? That's what I'm saying. A poor interview, right? You may have an amazing application. You applied early. You have shadowing and clinical experience. You have a great story. You have great GPA and great MCAT score, but you're a horrible interviewer. You need to practice interviewing. Practice interviewing to build your interview skills. Interviewing is a skill that you can build and learn. So if you're not doing mock interviews with your career counselor office, with your pre-health office, with a mentor, with your parents, through a My Anytime mock interview platform where you can go and record yourself kind of similar to Vita and stuff like that, uh, or doing one-on-one mock interviews uh, with myself or through our our map to one-on-one advising. If you're not doing any of that, then you're not preparing for the rest of your life. You need to have these interview skills to be able to show the schools, I can communicate, I understand the importance of an interview, I understand the importance of preparing for an interview. I'm showing you that I am prepared and we're going to have a great conversation and I'm a normal person and I can, I can have a conversation with you. That's the goal of the interview. And if you don't do that and you have a poor interview, that will very likely lead to not being accepted, also known as getting rejected. A lot of great students with poor interviews end up on wait lists. 
That's where that's where the waitlist students go or come from. A lot of times is the, these poor interviews. It's like, oh, the student was so good, but there's their interviews were horrible. And so I just I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they didn't know, but I, I don't know what I should do with them. Speaking of knowing, number nine reason applicants get rejected. Nobody knows. There are students out there who we think interviewed well. Their MCAT and GPAs are are great, maybe middle of the road, median kind of scores. Not super, super amazing. Not not terrible. They have a good story. They have clinical experience. They have shadowing. They're not arrogant. They applied relatively on time. And they still don't get in. Right? Maybe I'm gonna get. I'm gonna give you a bonus, uh, bonus answer here as well. But maybe they don't get in, and we just don't know why. And and that happens. And that's why this whole process is is frustrating for students because there is no do all of these things and there will be a medical school spot for you. We just don't have that. You have to put it all together. You have to put your story out there. You have to do well in your interview. And then it comes down to the humans on the other side who are reviewing your application, who are interviewing you, who are who are talking about you in these admissions committee meetings and really trying to figure out who they want to build a cohort with, what students they want to accept. And sometimes you're right on the bubble, just right outside, right on that bubble, uh, just just that last one who didn't get in. And we just don't know that. Medical schools don't give us that information. And you can reach out to schools and ask them, find out why you didn't get interviewed, find out why you didn't get an acceptance if you were interviewed. A lot of schools are going to tell you nothing. Some schools may give you some information. But unfortunately, that's part of the process. When we have humans in this process, we are are subject to human errors and in, in humans processing things and humans having bad days and looking at your application one way one day when the previous day or the next day they would have loved your application. But today, for some reason, they just didn't like it. We just don't know. And that's frustrating. I get it. And there's really nothing we can do about it. But that's life. We, we have that sort of subjectivity in life all the time, all around us. So that's part of that one. And then a bonus one here, number 10 of reasons why students get rejected. And, and I was hesitant to put this on here because it's really not why they get rejected, but potentially why they don't even get an interview in the first place. But then I was like, well, some of these are, are don't even get interviews in the first place too. And, and so let's add this bonus one in here. Number 10, a terrible or poor, or not well constructed school list. When students apply with a 3.2 GPA and a 505 MCAT score to Harvard and Hopkins and WashU and Stanford and Northwestern and all these amazing schools out there with terrible stats, with all the other things that we talked about, no clinical experience, no shadowing, being a little arrogant, applying late, applying to only these top-notch schools or only applying to one school because they aren't willing to move or applying to all public out-of-state schools when they live in a, a state where they're not a resident of, of those schools that they're applying to. There are lots of reasons why school lists can be bad. And so you need to do some research on how to build a school list. 
I want you to look at not just MCAT and GPA. That's where students make the biggest mistake. They look at MCAT and GPA and they ignore all of the other factors that make a strong school list. You have to look at private versus public. If it's a public out-of-state school where you're not a resident, do they accept out-of-state students? Do they accept a lot of -of out-of-state students? You have to understand that. If they do accept out-of-state students, what are the GPA and MCATs of MCAT score of those students? A lot of times they're a lot higher than their in-state students. When you're building that school list, ignore GPA and MCAT. Look at the mission, the vision of the school. And I know those can get very boring and they all look alike. Look at the fit of the school and you understand your journey, where you want to go. How is the school going to help you get there? That fit is very, very important. I talk about it a lot, but Dr. Sunny Nakai uh, is at UC Riverside and I had her on the podcast and we talked about school fit and she talked about at UC Riverside. They, they very, 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 very much look at fit because they're a school that is built for a mission. They want to serve the inner empire in, in kind of that Eastern East side of Los Angeles going into the San Bernardino Valley area. They want to serve that area known as the Inland Empire. And so this, the students there are very much likely to come from areas similar to that, that area. If you're coming from New York City and you're applying to UC Riverside because you think it's an easy school to get into because you have great stats, she, she said, Dr. Nakai said, we're not going to interview you. We know that you're just using us as a, quote, safety school. And we're not going to interview you because you're very likely not going to come to us. So why are we going to waste a spot on you? So fit matters when you're looking at medical schools. So poor GPA, poor MCAT score, not having a story, no clinical experience, no shadowing, being arrogant, applying late, poor interviewing, nobody knows, and a poor school list. 10 reasons why students either get rejected or don't even get an interview in the first place. Hopefully this was helpful for you. I enjoyed these one-on-one, just me and you podcasts. If you have some topics you would like to hear, hit me up on social media at Medical School HQ, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Uh, I hope you have a great week. Again, don't forget to check out Mapped, M-A-P-P-D.com. It's our technology platform to help students navigate their journey into medical school. It's such so much more than a spreadsheet. It's not just there to track everything that you're doing, but to also give you feedback and help you understand this whole process. A lot of those features are coming in the next few weeks. So go ahead and sign up today for a free two-week trial at mapped.com. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.